all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Wes Aldred on with us. He is a pulmonologist at UMMC. And today we're going to be talking about vaping. It is a trend that has become more and more popular, especially around our teenagers and our young adults. And so it's been in the news a lot, too, recently uh, with lung injuries and hospitalizations in our young kids, teenagers and young adults. Um, And so we're going to be talking about that today because I know a lot of people out there have questions and there's still a lot of emerging research about it. And so Dr. Alger is going to tell us some about that today. We would love to hear from you. So give us a call and share your comments and questions with us this morning at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Aldred. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you asking me back on here. Um, I know for those of you that listen regularly, we were uh, discussing this back in the spring, um, but with uh, the recurrence of all of these acute issues over the last couple of months that are starting to surface in the news, we thought it would be a good time to circle back around and talk about the danger of these devices again. Right. And so I got on the CDC's website before just to kind of have some updated statistics on it. Um, And as of October 1st, 2019, so this is the most up-to-date that we have, there's been 1,080 lung injuries that have been associated with e-cigarettes or vaping so far. And that is from 48 different states in one U.S. territory, which I think it was the Virgin Islands, if I remember right. So, I mean, that's pretty significant. Um, And, again, this is – people have just now started reporting this. So it could be that there have actually been more. I think that that's what we're going to start seeing. This is – you know, one of those things, if you look at the actual curve of the number of diagnoses over the past couple of months, it's on an exponential rise. And I think it's it's one of those recognition issues. The New England Journal of Medicine published kind of a landmark article on some of these acute vaping lung injuries um, in September. And since that time, you've had so much more recognition over the past couple of months. I know the Mississippi State Department of Health put out a physician advisory to be on the lookout for these cases. And so we're just going to see more and more numbers uh, over the next few months of people recognizing this uh, disease process and and sending in diagnoses. Yeah. And um, of the 1,080 lung injury cases, there have been 18 deaths so far, um, which is... Too many. (laughs) Way too many. Uh, 70% are male, which is not really that surprising, I would think, because um, tobacco users, there tend to be more males. Um, But 70% have been male. 80% are under 35. 
So that's that's pretty staggering numbers. And that's why I wanted to make sure we talked about it today, um, because it is a major issue with our teenagers and our adolescents and college kids. It is a very, very popular trend. Um, just to note, and we'll get into this a little bit more with Dr. Aldred, um, we don't know a specific reason why these are happening. Um, like I said, there's lots of research going on, and a lot of these lung injuries that have been reported have used THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. Um, but there's no specific link yet. But we can talk about a little bit about why we're seeing some of these lung injuries and what some of the new research is showing. We're talking today with Dr. Wes Aldred. He is a pulmonologist or a lung doctor at the University Hospital, and he's going to help us uh, talk about vaping today. So we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the dangers of e-cigarettes and vaping. So... You know, I think to frame this discussion, last time, you know, we focused mainly on um, the addictive nature of nicotine in general and how uh, our teenagers and young adults are starting to get hooked earlier with these uh, fancy new products that they're not, um, you know, don't seem as dangerous as cigarettes. And I think this time around, we need to kind of split out and talk about some of these acute lung injuries that we're seeing and also some of the chronic dangers, which I think... Um, are being underestimated by the general public and also by the medical community. Um, These acute lung injuries, like I referenced earlier, uh, the New England Journal of Medicine put out a paper um, in September uh, about some acute pulmonary illnesses from e-cigarette use, and they derived that data from um, a couple of different case series in Illinois and Wisconsin. Um, And uh, like Dr. McLeod said, um, there were a variety of patients, 53 or so, with a variety of different lung diseases, and people ended up on the ventilator um, with pretty severe illnesses. And the problem is they have not necessarily been able to pinpoint an exact pathophysiologic mechanism. They, they have seen um, a variety of um, pathologic patterns. So it it gets a bit confusing when you start trying to diagnose exactly the underlying mechanism of these diseases, because looking at pathology, so these, a lot of these patients underwent bronchoscopy, which is a procedure that lung doctors do where we run a camera down into your airway, into your lungs, and we put some, um, some salt water down there and we suck it back out. We send that to the lab for analysis and we take some biopsies and send that to pathology. And Um, coming up with a diagnosis sometimes is kind of like reading the tea leaves. It's just Mm -hmm. pattern analysis. And Mm -hmm. so they've seen a variety of patterns with these different lung diseases. And um, initially in this first case series, a lot of those um, found what we call lipoid pneumonia, which is um, something that previously we had seen typically in the elderly that drink you know, mineral oil or take castor oil or those types of things, and they accidentally aspirate it into their lungs. So they have this oil in their lungs that the body then reacts to and can cause a lipoid pneumonia. So some of the first cases, they found that lipoid pneumonia. And so that spun out the thought process, well, then maybe these acute lung injuries are actually from some of these oils that people are vaping rather than uh, the traditional e-cigarettes. 
But there's there have been some rebuttals to that initial article that have come in since that time where folks have seen a variety of other uh, pathologic patterns from respiratory bronchiolitis to hypersensitivity pneumonitis to diffuse alveolar damage, which can be deadly. Um, and so I think there's a lot out there, and I don't think it's safe to hang our hat and say that this is only occurring in folks that are using THC oil um, in their vape devices because there there are percentages in all of these studies of folks that you know have not admitted to using THC oils that only use nicotine products. Mm-hmm. So we're talking today about vaping. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll go to our caller James. Thanks for calling today. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I- I wanted to say that uh, I've been a smoker for 14 years, and I'm trying to quit. And uh, I purchased an e-cigarette, one of the one of the nicer vaporizers. Uh, I don't use THC oil, but I wanted to say that it's an awkward position uh, right now, trying to figure out whether or not I'm actually making a decision that's better for my health, considering all of the things that are going on right now. And I also wanted to ask if you could have any comment about the disparity between the way the American medical industry discusses vaping and the way it's discussed in England, where it still is seen as a preferable alternative to traditional smoking. Sure. Those are good questions. And I think um, you've already made the best decision, which is to try to get off of uh, traditional cigarettes. Um, You know, over the, the... the information that's out there and how we're being taught to counsel patients is changing very rapidly. And over the past few years, um, even here, the thought um, has been that e-cigarettes are probably a safer option. Based on the data that we have in hand, they are probably safer. Um, Some articles have uh, quoted that, you know, they could be up to 95% safer than traditional cigarettes. Um, but there are more uh, basic science uh, research coming out uh, all the time that brings that thought into question. Um, recently, I think also in September or October, in the uh, American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, um, there was a study again where they took some patients that had just used e-cigarettes and they took her took them for bronchoscopy and uh, did a washout of their lungs and they had the same level um, of enzymes called proteases, which break down proteins in the lungs as, as people that use traditional cigarettes. And those over time, those proteases are what lead to diseases such as COPD, uh, also known as emphysema or chronic bronchitis. And so I think as the data mounts, you know, as we're trying to read the tea leaves here, as the data mounts, Ultimately, these devices are going to be just as bad as as traditional cigarettes. And so I think if you're wanting to make the decision to stop smoking, uh, the best thing which has been shown time and again is the use of nicotine replacement therapies via patches, lozenges, gum, uh, plus some sort of behavioral counseling and also a role for drugs such as Chantix or Zyban. And one of the things we talked about last time, too, in the e-cigarettes is the nicotine content in them. Um, The nicotine content in the e-cigarettes is so high that we had a caller last time that actually talked about he needed more cigarettes after he went from e-cigarettes back to cigarettes just to get that nicotine. So 
um, not only does it have the harmful chemicals in it, but it also has the, a higher nicotine content, which makes it a little bit harder, too, to quit because that nicotine is so addictive. But thank you so much for your call, James. Yes, ma'am. May I say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say that I am currently enrolled in the Mississippi Tobacco Quit Line, and it's a great program. Awesome. They they sent me four free nicotine gum, and uh, they have an online counseling program. It's really great. Yes. Thank you so much for that. There's there's actually um, the program that James is talking about. There's a national quit hotline, um, and they do. They provide the nicotine patches, the gums, the lozenges. They also provide counseling, which Dr. Aldred mentioned uh, briefly, and that is a huge part of quitting is the counseling and the follow-up. Um, and that is great. I'm, I'm glad you're enrolled in that. And thanks for plugging that. And good luck on your journey to quitting. Thanks for your call. So we'll go next to Tom. What's going Hello. on today? Hello, doctor. Yeah. What's going on today? Uh, well, uh, I got a question for the pulmonary doctor. I'm uh, 76 years old. I smoked for 40 years. I've been quitting now for 12 years, and I take a lung scan every year. And about two or three weeks ago, a nodule showed up in my lungs. And I've gone to a pulmonary doctor, and uh, I had a PET scan done uh, several days ago, and they found no cancer in my body at all. And But now, next week, they want to do a biopsy of my lung. Why would they want to do a biopsy of the lung if the PET scan showed no cancer? Uh, so, Tom, that's a that's a good question. And number one, congratulations on quitting smoking 12 years ago. That's fantastic. Um, it's a complicated question. Um, do you know how big the nodule was that they found? Offhand, uh, they, said, they said it seemed. I think it was about the size of a dime. I... Okay, um, so the problem with PET scans and the problem with all of the tests in medicine um, is that none of them are perfect. Okay, no no test that we perform on someone um, is a hundred percent. So it's a complicated discussion between the physician and the patient about what to do next when you find a nodule. And one of the ways to help you frame that discussion and figure out what the risk of this being cancerous is, um, is a PET scan. And so what a PET scan does, um, they give you, you know, that medicine and then they look in the body and see what areas are very, very active because typically cancer is very, very active. Um, However, uh, that test is not always 100%. So if it came back and it was what we call hot, so very, very avid, that would be more concerning for cancer. But just because it's not very, very avid does not mean that this spot on your lung is not cancerous. The only way to figure that out is to get a piece of it and have the pathologist look at it under a slide. Um, And, you know... How your risk plays into that, uh, being a smoker, that certainly puts you at higher risk. Depending on where the nodule is in your lung could put you at higher risk. So all of those go into the decision um, to whether or not to biopsy it or watch it. Well, I haven't had any any of the symptoms as far as uh, loss of weight or any coughing or shortness of breath or anything like that. Yes, sir. And, and the doctor, she said, well, you might want to watch it for three months. And I told her, no, I wanted 
whatever it is, whether it's cancer or not, I want it removed. And so I think that's going to be the next step. Okay, so you're going to go straight for removal? Uh, yeah, after the biopsy, whether it's cancerous or whether it's not, I, I want to have it removed. Sure, and and all of those are, are reasonable discussions to have with your physician. Um, the The problem with lung cancer as a whole is they have to get fairly large before they start causing symptoms. And so that's why we've had to put in place uh, such a strong screening program because, you know, over the past 50 years, people show up once they've coughed up blood or lost weight and they have a cancer that um, can't be taken out. And the problem with lung cancer is that the only way to cure lung cancer is with surgery, to have it removed. Okay, so the goal, the reason you've been getting scans every year is to find a lesion early enough uh, where it can actually be removed. Um, yeah, so it, it, it didn't appear uh, uh, last year. It wasn't even on there. Yes, sir. So we just found out about it. Yep, and, th- and that certainly can happen. So uh, I hope we've caught this thing in time. I certainly appreciate your information, doctor. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll go next to Lee. Thanks for calling today. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? All is well. Good. Uh, A couple of comments. One thing I've noticed about the e-cigarettes versus regular cigarettes is that with your regular cigarette, you have X number of puffs on that thing, and it's gone. With the e-cig, you can sit there and smoke on that thing all day. It never goes out. That's got to be bad for you. And I've also noticed that there's a trend with young people to see how long of a draw they can take off that e-cigarette just for the fun of it, and then how long it takes to exhale and how much vape comes out. Uh, can y'all comment on those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, regarding the second thing, you know, that's those those big draws and holding them in. Those are those are actually dangerous, um, and it's certainly been described uh, with marijuana use as well, uh, where they take in these big draws and hold them and exhale, and it can actually cause your lungs to rupture. Um, so folks can come in with what we call a pneumothorax, which is air around the outside of the lung between the lung and the chest uh, or a collapsed lung Um, so that can lead to issues it can cause chronic destruction uh, of the upper parts of your lung so that is an issue that's important Um, as for the first part um, the long draws as well as this um, process of overheating the devices uh, is something that the the kids and teens have done as well, which has led to some of those early cases of the e-cigarette devices exploding. Well, thank you so much for your call, Lee. We'll go next to April. Hello. Yeah, what's going on today? How are y'all doing? Good. Um, I had a question. Um, vaping, the true vaping, has been around 10-plus years. And besides the THC that people are putting in their vaping products, why is there such a spike in the people that's not using the THC? So that that's a good question. And 
kind of what we referred to uh, at the beginning of the show. I think it's a diagnostic bias. I think that this has probably been out there. Um, you know, even for me as a lung doctor over the past few years, when a patient comes in with shortness of breath or a little fever, I don't routinely ask them if they use e-cigarettes. You know, part of my routine when I talk to a patient, I do ask them if they smoke, if they use any other drugs, but I don't specifically ask about vaping or e-cigarette use. And so I imagine these disease processes have been out there. Uh, folks come in with these um, issues of the lung, and we've just called them pneumonia and given them antibiotics and supported them. Um, so I think with the renewed focus that's occurred over the past, you know, eight to 12 weeks um, is what, why you're seeing the spike. People are finally starting to put the puzzle pieces together now that they know to ask the right questions. Right. I have backed off of my vaping a lot. I vape maybe 30 cc's a week. And uh, April of last year, I was admitted with double pneumonia, and I developed ARDS. Mm. So um, I did not vape for a long time, and I started back. And since this has been happening, I uh, have backed off again. But I've not had any, you know, problems since then. Uh, you know, and I would, so one of the pathophysiologic processes, like we talked about at the beginning, one of the patterns that they have found in some of these patients is something that's called diffuse alveolar damage. So you use that e-cigarette and it causes uh, sloughing in your, the smallest air sacs in your lungs. And it can look just like ARDS on imaging. And the only way to um, diagnose it is with biopsy. There's no difference in treatment, so it doesn't necessarily matter in that aspect, but, you know, could you have could could that ARDS episode have been from bacterial pneumonia? Absolutely. Uh, could it have been from an injury from vaping? Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm a nurse, and I try to keep up, you know, on uh, what's going on with the vaping and the development because of that happened to me. Because at the time, I, I, you know, the doctor said, "Well, does she smoke?" Or he said, "My husband said no, she vaped." He said, "Well, that's what it is." So he just automatically blamed it on that. And I just, you know, I haven't got my medical records to go through them, but I'm anxious to, you know, go through it and just look. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate you uh, commenting and answering my questions. Thank yeah. you for calling. Thanks for your Thank call. You. Bye-bye. We're talking today about vaping with Dr. Wes Aldred. He is a pulmonologist at UMC. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll get back to the calls. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. We're talking today with Dr. Wes Aldrin, a pulmonologist at the University Hospital, and he's talking with us about vaping and some of the complications that we see with vaping. We would love to hear from you. Call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. We'll go next to Mary. Thank you so much for holding. Hey, yes, I'm Mary Jane Guidry from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And I was listening to the show. What caught my ear was uh, the reference to the CDC and the number of uh, injuries and or deaths from vaping, which that's that's very concerning. And I, I do agree that, that anything that's causing that amount of uh, injury needs to be looked into. But why I'm calling today, the CDC also, if you go to the VAERS, uh, database. There's been four billion dollars paid out in, in vaccine damages and deaths just to, to date, and that's from the CDC website. That's um, that is very concerning as well, and so is this. The, the vaping is. Where is the concern over that though? That that's what needs to be addressed. And vaping and the cigarette, all of that is a choice that people have. The vaccines, especially in Mississippi, there's no choice there for these children. The the vaccine that's given at birth, the hepatitis, has absolutely never been studied. So, if you, and again, uh, it's from the CDC website. You can go there and look at the VAERS, V-A-E-R-S database. There's been studies that show that less than 1% of vaccine injuries and deaths are even reported. And that, that was a, a huge study that was done. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. There needs to be a lot looked into as far as cigarettes and all. But that's a choice that people, they pick that up. Well, thank you so much for your call, Mary. We appreciate it. And um, Mary did mention the website. You can go, and if you have any concerns about vaccines, it's always something you can talk to your doctor about. And anybody, you don't have to be a physician, you can report to that website. So um, thank you for your call today. Yeah, to, to counter that a little bit, and I have three children myself, and if there were more vaccines to more diseases, I would give more vaccines to my children. Um the, what we're seeing now uh, with measles, especially some of these diseases that were on the border of eradication that are flaring back up, is terrifying. Um, and and it's from this fear mongering, um, such as from the last caller. So uh, I would definitely give more vaccines if I could to my kids. So we're talking today with Dr. Aldred, a pulmonologist, about vaping and some of the complications that we see we would love to hear from you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. um something that I, I think is important that one of the earlier callers brought up uh where he said he was getting this yearly ct scan i, I want to harp on that for just a second it's not necessarily tied to vaping but certainly to traditional uh, cigarette usage. So what he was talking about is something that's called low-dose CT screening, and it's screening for lung cancer. Like I said, we have had a very hard time figuring out a way to screen for lung cancer. Initially, they tried with chest x-rays, and it just wasn't good enough to, to detect lung cancer. And so uh, not too long ago, they uh, came out with this nice big trial on low-dose CT screening, and it showed a mortality benefit to screening these folks. And so if you are out there and you're between 55 and 74 was the was the trial uh, in the National Lung uh, Screening Trial. 
Medicare, Medicaid pays for ages 55 to 77, I think, and the U.S. Preventive Task Force recommends between ages 55 and 80. If you're between those ages and you have smoked 30 pack years, which the way we calculate pack years, it's uh, how many packs per day times how many years you smoke. So 30 pack years and you're currently smoking or just have quit within the past 15 years, it is recommended that you talk with your physician, um, whether that be primary care or a lung doctor or whomever you see, talk with them about whether you qualify for lung cancer screening. It's uh, one low-dose CT scan a year so you can watch and and check for the development of of lung cancer. Yeah, and when we say low-dose CT scan, all CT scans or CAT scans is another term Mm -hmm. people use, um, have some radiation exposure to it. But this type of CT scanner that we use um, doesn't have as much radiation exposure to it, so that's where the low dose comes into it. So if that's one of your concerns, um, it is a lower dose. There is still some radiation exposure, but it's in a lower dose. Uh, And, yeah, we get it every year. I try to talk to all my smoking patients about that. Um, And it's nice, too, because insurances initially weren't covering Mm -hmm. it, and now we can get them to cover. Um, And even if your insurance doesn't cover it, if it only partially covers it, I think usually the cost is about $150. Yeah, at the university it's $150, $200, I think. And if if you'd like to talk to somebody about it, we'd be glad to see you at Pulmonary at the university. We have a very strong group uh, of, of folks that are doing lung cancer screening. Mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to kind of get into uh, real quick, if we can, um, is the symptoms of what these people are presenting with and why are some people's symptoms mild and why are we having some deaths from it too? We'll go quick to this next caller and then we'll get into that. Thanks for calling, Dan. Yes, I'm very interested in the show. I knew uh, when I started listening it was going to be a hot topic, and it seems like there's a lot of interest in this um, this disease that's, that's taking control here. And I just had a, a couple of questions, and Dr. Alden said he had uh, not been, uh, well, I believe, asking patients if they were vaping, I think. Did you, is that what you yes, said sir. earlier? Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, and I was just curious at the breakdown of if there's any statistics on the breakdown as to teens versus the older people. I assume that most of the older people are taking it for cessation purposes, like trying to get off, and it seems like the teens are more trying to be the cool folks, <laughs> and that's what they're doing. And I just didn't know if there were statistics on sales as to how that broke down. Um, so there. that is uh, that's actually a really great observation, and I think that your sense is right. I do not have uh, that data in front of me, but from from my personal practice, I think your sense is right that in the older population, what you're seeing is folks switching to e-cigarette usage um, as a uh, you know, nicotine replacement therapy, essentially, uh, to try to get off smoking. And uh, for teens and young adults, this is how they're getting addicted to nicotine. Now, this is their initial um, avenue to that. However, some of the statistics are actually, um, it's concerning how the data is gathered, because 
traditionally the the surveys that and i know when i was in high school we had to take a survey as well about drug and alcohol use and the surveys initially were asking about e-cigarette usage which is not what kids and teens call this uh they call it juuling they call it vaping they call it dabbing um and so they're not reporting some of that because the questions aren't asked correctly um so uh that's kind of my that's kind of my thoughts on that, but I think you're going to see, like I said, folks start to focus in on asking these questions uh, a little more appropriately uh, to help address some of that. Right, the uh, CBD oil that y'all discussed being added to this, I wasn't aware, you know, that to this degree that it was happening, and I, and I know there's a, a huge market out there for um, that for medicinal person purposes i did not know if that was what was going on from the uh, aspect of the companies that are that are producing these or does it have any other are the kids under the idea that uh, there's a possible uh connection to to a thc high i mean i just don't i wasn't aware that that was going and i know there's so many ingredients that is making this difficult to identify, you know, what is causing the most problems. But I wasn't aware that was in there. And what are your thoughts on that, that CBD oil and the, and the industry pushing that in so many um, products? So all good points. To not mince words, um, there is CBD oil, which is legal in the state of Mississippi, and there is THC oil, which is illegal. Um, and so some of these cases that we initially discussed, they are talking about THC oil, which is being manufactured probably mostly overseas. I'm not sure if we're getting domestic manufacturing of that yet. Um, and so that is the concern as far as, um, you know, quality assurance goes. And then there's also CBD oil, which, um, certainly we've, it's mentioned in some of these articles, but it's a little separate take than from the THC. And ultimately, a lot of these products hit the market with very little, um, very little research into their um, adverse effects. And so really, all of these devices need to be swooped under the FDA's umbrella so that these things can be uh, placed under better quality control. Uh, well, I guess I misunderstood that uh, the THC oil, I was hoping that I misunderstood, and it was um, the CBD oil, but it's um, it's even more dangerous in my mind, and probably that's the target for the for the young people, this, the additive there, that uh, they have the possible, um, the probability of getting a high from smoking, uh, from vaping. Correct, uh, correct. Yeah. That's That's some of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Listen, I'm enjoying the show, and I'm just going to hang up and listen to the, the rest of the comments because this is a great show. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you y'all. so much. Thanks for your call. And, yeah, so to kind of differentiate a little bit, THC is the active ingredient in marijuana that gives you the high, whereas CBD, there's not necessarily a high associated with that. And as Dr. Aldred pointed out, the CBD oil is legal, um, and the THC is the illegal part, um, and it's what gives you the high. And so that's why a lot of people are adding it to their vaping. Um, CBD oil, just like e-cigarettes, there's, you know, like, especially 
CBD oil just like their, um, any other supplement. There's no FDA regulations for it. So the, the thing to remember about CBD oil is, yes, there probably are some good benefits to it. We don't have a ton of research for that yet, but there is there are a few things, like in particular seizures, um, that it's actually really good for. But we don't have a ton of information on it yet and how safe it is. And the other thing, since it is not FDA regulated, it can be contaminated with THC. It can be contaminated with other chemicals because there are no FDA regulations on it. So while it is still legal in Mississippi, there are some, still some concerns about everybody using uh, CBD oil because we just don't have a ton of information about it now. And that's why we have so many studies going on with it. We're talking today about vaping with Dr. Wes Aldred, a pulmonologist at UMC. We would love to hear from you, so give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And we'll be back after the break. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today about vaping with Dr. Wes Aldred, a pulmonologist at UMMC. We would love to hear from you, so share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So our last caller asked about statistics of adults versus teens. I don't have those numbers, but I do have some numbers for teenagers in that um, in a poll in 2018, so this was... uh, well, it's almost two, the end of 2019, which is crazy, but so almost two years ago. At that point, 20% of high school students had reported using e-cigarettes in the last 30 days. So that's one out of five teenagers have been using it. And I can say um, from my pediatric practice that I have, when we talk to our kids about drugs and alcohol um, at their checkup visits, it is mostly my middle school patients that are telling me that they're vaping. Um, and it's not, there are a lot of high school students that do too, but a lot of it is middle school. And the thing that we have to remember is that the vaping products contain nicotine. And we know nicotine is what is the most addictive part of tobacco use and vaping. And the earlier you are exposed to nicotine, during your brain is, kids' brains are still developing through teenagers and adolescence and even into your early 20s your brain is still developing and that's when it's so susceptible and so if we're introducing nicotine and that addiction potential so early um, their addiction to tobacco and to vaping products will only continue through adulthood so we'll go next to our caller Lindsay 
I was just uh, actually what you just said about um, adolescence and stuff and tobacco use. Um, I started smoking cigarettes at a very young age in high school. Um, I'm 26 now and have now have quit smoking and I've been vaping now for about a year. Um, and, you know, all of this uh, coming out in the media um, about all these people getting sick and how it might not be a healthy alternative like, you know, a lot of people once thought before. And um, I was just wondering, as a vapor, like, what are the things that I need to look out for? Like, what are the symptoms? Uh, I just was in the emergency room last night for, like, a high fever and bad coughing, but my chest x-ray came out okay, so... Um, I was just wondering, like, what, as vapors, like, what we need to be, like, looking for as far as symptoms go. Yeah, so that's a great question. Congratulations on getting off traditional cigarettes. Um, that's a that's a huge deal. Um, so, you know, the initial uh, study that I keep referring to from the New England Journal of Medicine, they kind of categorize some of the different symptoms. And the problem is a lot of them are relatively nonspecific. So a little low-grade fever, cough, shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting. Um, that's what most people initially presented with. And then um, they got chest x-rays, like you mentioned, and, and they had uh, what we call infiltrates on the chest x-ray. Or they had some uh, areas in their lungs that looked like there was an ongoing inflammatory process. And so that's kind of how all this got started. And then depending on you know what underlying pathophysiologic process was occurring in their lungs, um, kind of depended on how their course of disease went, whether it was just mild and kind of responded to steroids or whether they ended up on the ventilator or ultimately, ultimately died. So those are, unfortunately, it's relatively nonspecific symptoms, uh, especially uh, coming into the flu, se- flu season where folks are going to start having some high-grade fevers, uh, shortness of breath, cough, those sorts of things. Right. Um, and that leads me to one more question. Um, you know, all those people that, that you mentioned that unfortunately passed away and got extremely sick, I mean, are those caused from, like, contaminants in the vaping products, or are they caused from the va- vaping products themselves, like, uncontaminated, or is that yet to be seen? That's, is that something yeah, they're still working on? Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's the ultimate question. Unfortunately, that's the one we don't have an answer for. That's why... All we can say right now is the safest thing is to not inhale anything into your lungs. Um, Some of these different pathophysiologic processes resemble um, like an allergy, uh, an allergy pattern to something that you're allergic to. And unfortunately, we just don't have the answer. Like I said, some of these studies have shown that it was folks that use THC. However, these also portions of folks that just use nicotine uh, liquid. So we just don't know. And it, it doesn't go down to breakdown. You know, was this a name brand from big tobacco company that maybe had some better quality assurance or was this, you know, something, uh, something homemade? We don't know. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you for calling. Thanks for your call. So like our last caller said, she started smoking when she was a teenager. And so one statistic that I found that I just wanted to share is that of our adult smoking population, nine out of 10 of them started smoking when they were teenagers. And so that's one of the things, um, and that really didn't differentiate if this was vaping or if this was tobacco products. I want to make sure I say that um, because I don't think we have enough information about that just yet. But nine out of 10 started smoking when they were teenagers. And it is one of the hardest habits to quit. Um, I've 
have never experienced it, but I see a lot of my patients go through it. I've seen a lot of family members and friends go through it. And it's so hard to quit. And that's why we try to talk, like I wanted to bring this up so that we can talk, you can talk to your teens about this and how important it is to have these discussions with them. Uh, We all talk to them about um, their relationships. We talk to them about alcohol use, tobacco use, but vaping is just important uh, because it does have the nicotine in it. And there is that addiction potential for our teenagers. So, Dr. Aldred, real quick, what would you tell patients to do if they started having some of these symptoms? Say they use, they are vapors, um, and they start having some low-grade fever and a cough. Um, so, I, I think the best place to start is with your primary care physician. Um, you know, that's your medical home, and they're, they're going to be the ones that know you best. And uh, I think it starts with that discussion with your physician, and they can assess kind of how ill, um, how ill they think you are. And that may... Uh, that may move to a chest x-ray, that may move to sending you to the emergency room and kind of go from there. But if, you know, if your symptoms are mild, that may be a great start. But if you're having significant shortness of breath, chest pain, high-grade fevers, um, it may be best, especially if it's after hours of the weekend, uh, to just go to your local emergency room so you can be evaluated in a uh, a more expedited fashion. And make sure when you do go to your primary care doctor or to the ER, whatever provider you're seeing, that you tell them that you're vaping, too. Um, because, like we've talked about earlier, sometimes it, it we don't always ask about that mm-hmm. um, because it is such a newer trend. Um, it's been around for a while, but it has become more and more popular here recently. So just make sure when you do seek care, and we do recommend you seek care, that you make sure you mention that you are a vapor. So we have a few minutes left. If you have any questions, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if there was anything you heard and you want to send us an email and ask us some questions, we'd be happy to get back to you. Kids at mpbonline.org. Um, so a few things that I just wanted to make sure we talked about is parents and grandparents out there that have middle school kids and teenagers, high school, even kids in college that, you know, we talk in here all the time about open communication with your kids. And it's important to make sure that you're having these discussions with them. And then also watching, uh, we've talked about screen time too in here, but screen time is very important to have discussions about this because this is where they're targeting our kids and our teens. They're having ads on Facebook and Instagram, their commercials on the TV shows. Um, And so it's important to make sure that you're talking to your kids about that. Ask them what they've seen. Ask them what they know about it, if their friends are using it, um, so that they, they are aware of the risk and they know what's going on. You have kids, Dr. Aldred, who they're still pretty young, yep. though. So, um, but it's it's never too early, even in late elementary, because middle school is when it starts emerging. Yeah, and I, the concerning thing for me as a parent um, is that these these new devices. You know, it used to. Uh, I was talking with uh, one of the other lung doctors at the university, Dr. Michael Sinitko, today, and you know, in years gone by, a kid came home and they smelled like alcohol or they smelled like pot or they smelled like cigarettes or you found a pack of cigarettes and you knew that your kid was doing something that they shouldn't be doing and you could have those discussions. But with these new electronic cigarette devices and the new vape devices, they look 
benign. Mm-hmm. I mean, they look like a USB flash driver. They look like a pen. Um, and you, you just, it may be there right under your nose and you don't know unless you have these discussions with your kids. And that's the scariest thing for me. Yeah, I was telling them this morning, I was actually watching the Today Show, and they did an experiment where they um, had teachers and parents in a classroom with kids, and they had hidden some vapes because they're really small. I don't know if you've ever seen them out there. They're really small. Um, And of the, like, I don't remember exactly the number, but say like 20 of them out there, they only found about four or five. Um, And so they're easy to hide. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you're having these discussions with your kids as as early as possible. Uh, One other thing I wanted to make sure we talked about, too, is that if you are a smoker or if you vape and you are interested in quitting, um, talk to your doctor about it or get online and look. There are so many resources out there for you that you can use. Uh, one of our callers mentioned earlier uh, the Mississippi Quit uh, program that they have. Uh, the ACT Center is what it's called here in Jackson, and it's located at the Medical Mall. And you do not have to have a referral from your doctor. You can self-refer there if you want to. Your doctor can probably give you some more information about it. But you can just Google it online. Um, they pro- they provide pat- nicotine patches, nicotine gums, lozenges. They also provide prescriptions for medications if that is something that you're interested in going that route to help you quit um, because there are a few medicines out there that are successful. They're probably a little bit more successful than nicotine patches. Um, But if you can't get to the ACT Center or your local area does not have a quit center, you can call the National Quit Hotline, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Super easy to remember. They do exactly what the local centers do. They provide you with the, they can mail you with the patches. They can um, help you get prescription medications and things like that to help you quit. And the best part about all of these is that they follow up with you about it. They don't just give you the medicines and the patches. They make sure that you're using them and seeing how things are going and provide some counseling. So the the ACT Center is a wonderful resource. It's one that I use to send my patients to. Um, Unfortunately, over the past few years, the number of ACT Centers across the Mm -hmm. state has gotten lower and lower uh, because it hadn't been funded appropriately. So keep those things in mind uh, as you move to the polls here soon. Um, I know the Mississippi State Medical Association is uh, in talks with the legislature now about um, hopefully a cigarette tax um, to try to increase the, the cost of cigarettes to both um, decrease the amount of smokers and to try to create some revenue to, to generate some of these um, assist devices, some mm-hmm. of these uh, places like the Act Center to get those in place to help people quit. We really need it. We need more funding for public health in the state of Mississippi. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Aldred, for coming on today. And thank you to all our callers and listeners. I think we had a great discussion. And like I said, if you have any questions that maybe we didn't get to, you can always email us at kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.